Welcome by Shed Life. <laughs> Hello. Today we're joined by economist and Formula One enthusiast V10. Uh, he's originally from the Netherlands. Um, we've been chatting for about an hour or so, so I said we get straight into it. What do you think about that? Yay! Bro. All right, V10. Um, so, well, first question, I guess, is why Formula One? I mean, it is a popular sport globally, I guess, uh, but it's also not, not, it's not the most unique. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you can get a uh, car and go out racing with your mates from a, from a young age unless you've got go-karts and stuff. But, you know, Formula One in particular... Why that? Why that sport? What's the what's the appeal to that? That's a that's a good question. Um, there's, there's this. Uh... Thanks. I always ask. <laughs> let's let's see about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no pressure there. Um, it's, yeah, it's a difficult question. Uh, why F one? It, it's like you mentioned. It's not something that you pick up uh, and the love for it starts organically. Because I imagine with football, you you go to your, your like primary school and you see a couple of your mates playing football and it's pretty easy to sort of like join the join join the playground join the kids and uh, play in the playground yeah, yeah. i mean that, those ones are easy like you know you just got a bat and a ball or you got a football yeah. you got a tennis racket you just hit them around the park or your garden or that yeah formula one's obviously very different and you need a certain you know it does have a certain appeal but you also need a certain yeah. thirst and love for it to really get into it because it's it's not a short sport you know you can watch a, a bloody mm. race for hours uh, it's quite repetitive as well, right? Just cars zooming around the track, <laughs> so thought, not knowing who's who. And so there's this joke that F1 is not, it's a sport for people who don't like sport. It's All right, so it's not a real sport, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> like darts. <laughs> How dare you, both, both of them are quality <laughs> sports. Uh, uh, probably like practiced by like supreme athletes. Um it, it comes from a love of cars, basically, I think, for most of us. Um, uh, it doesn't take much to, as a young kid, to, to fall in love with cars, uh, speed. Um, just the idea of being able to, like, go as fast as you'd like. I think that's got, like, sort of a primal appeal to it. Um, and that, an F1 or motorsport, it's, like, the, the, the maximum you can go with in terms of, like, having a car go as fast as possible around a track. Mm. I mean, I'm right in saying Formula 1 is the fastest motorsport uh, race in the world, right? Yes. faster than your NASCARs, Indy cars, your, I don't know what yeah. else you got. They're, they're, okay. they're, they're faster in a different sort of, they're all, they're all fast, but in a different sort of sense. So NASCAR and IndyCar, a lot of them it's on oval, so you it's, it's, it's a less complicated track itself. Oh, I see. So you, 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 you take some kind of, Sorry, do you get some kind of like centripetal force or something then, if you're it, just going around in a like so? Yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, NASCAR and uh, a lot of the oval tracks in IndyCar, it's it's a different sort of racing almost. It's it's bit it's it's more about maintaining speed because they do well over 200 continuously for like hundreds of laps. Whereas F1 is a bit more technical. Like you you turn not just left most of the time, but you also turn right. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Uh, the like, track is quite tricky, isn't it? Like. It, so, like, just by the fact that you turn right, that kind of increases your combinations by at least a hundred percent. So, you reckon you got to be a, a more skilled driver to be Formula One driver than uh, those other sort of disciplines you mentioned? That's, that's uh, um, 
In my view, yes, but this is coming from like an armchair fan, and there is definitely a yeah, lot sure, of sure. skill. Uh, there's definitely a lot of skill involved in NASCAR and IndyCar and the oval racing. Because uh, if 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 not, you would you would you wouldn't see the quality uh, in the uh, in the field over there. So like people who done F1 back in the days did Indy and vice versa. Um, but in my view, I'd say. Yeah, F one is probably a bit more technical. It, there's, there's there's more of a variety uh, to the sport as opposed to the the indie cards. But but motorsport is a it's a it's a broad brand. It's not just F one. F one is the pinnacle, or it's considered pinnacle. But you have so many different categories, and it's, for example, you got rallying, which is like a completely almost completely different sport. Where it's, it's it, when you look at it, it, it just looks mental, like how they were able to maneuver their cars through such narrow paths and through such like unstable terrain. Um, and you got like endurance racing, which is all very much more strategic. So like, because uh, you're driving like for multiple hours, it's not just like going around the corner as fast as you can. It's, you have to think ahead and make sure that your tires and uh, fuel and whatever other resources you have at hand, you can stretch that to yeah. the max. But it's, it's not, it's not like a one, uh, one size fits all. Like motorsport is, it's, it's a huge, it's a big group. A very group. Yeah, fair enough. Nah, fair enough. So how, how do the speeds compare in all these different disciplines? Like, you said Formula 1 is the fastest, right? Um, and which is quite a... Uh, it's quite a acknowledgement, though, because like you said, it's, it, the tracks are sort of uh, you know, yeah, bending and curving left, yeah. right, and center yeah, it's gonna compared s- to the oval track. So that means, and if the speeds yeah. are the highest... I think I'd, I'd what kind s- of speeds are we looking at? I think I need to slightly backtrack in the sense that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport. Um, so you can have other motorsports which achieve a more absolute top speed. Like I mentioned, IndyCar will probably reach the same top speeds as F1 does or even more. Or you got drag races which like accelerate potentially faster because they got a jet engine. Um, F1 is like it's considered to be the pinnacle of motorsport. Like it's just... Um, it's most prestigious, right? Exactly, exactly. Skill and technicality and all that. Exactly. And navigation running. Exactly. If you, yeah, if you, that's fair enough. If you want to be the best of the best, you want to be an F1 champion. Um, uh, that's it. Just seemed that's just seen as the pinnacle. It, it doesn't necessarily mean you're the fastest now, right? Like there could be other cars that go faster in a straight. There could be potentially other cars that go faster on a certain type of corner. If you put an F1 car into a dirt track, you're not going to go very far. Oh yeah, of course. You need a special, yeah. specially maintained kind of track, isn't it, to yep. drive that Formula One car but as well? I guess it is. It is considered the the pinnacle because, and it's in, the clue is also in the name F1, the premier formula. <laughs> Um, yeah, true. I mean, I, I just thought that was a brand, but yeah, you're right. Before, so before you have like, you have also have the junior classes back. Like you had Formula Two, well, you still have Formula Two, Formula Three. So F1 is like the natural progression in terms of open seed racing. Fair enough. What what what, what is that uh, driver from uh, Fernando Alonso? What, what what does he drive at now? He's a, he's gone to a different sport, right? Uh, Mo- yes. Yeah, Mo- so he uh, he uh, he had a bit of a team NASCAR. I, I think IndyCar? he's he's made some attempts at IndyCar, and I think he might give it another go. So, like, um, as you might remember, he had a bit of a torrid time at McLaren because uh, uh, after he made a switch to McLaren, they they f- they fell uh, quite a bit, uh, and then I think he sort of retired from the sport with a bit of dis- uh, dissolution. Um, so he moved into sports car while he was in F1 as well. So he won the 24 hour of Le Mans, which is a 24 hour race, uh, run the circuit of Le Mans as it is probably self-explanatory, the 24 hour of Le Mans. 
Yeah, yeah. And he wants to win the Indy 500. So there's this thing called the Triple Crown where you win the Monaco Grand Prix, 24 Hour Le Mans, and the Indy 500. Uh, they're the most free. They're the three most prestigious races in like motorsport. Is that is that saying the Monaco the Monaco Grand Prix is the is the hardest track on the on the calendar of Formula One? Um, yeah, you or the most prestigious, sorry, prestigious one. Because I was going to say, like, I'm not an F1 driver, so I, I don't know. But like, from playing Gran Turismo, super realistic. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle the most with that one, so I'm sure that's a good indicator. Um, but like from yeah, like just from listening to like driver interviews when they're when they're asked about like Monaco, it's always it's one of those ones you want to win. It's like uh, winning in like Bernabeu or winning in Old Trafford, uh, but, but but even more ex- like it's even more exclusive because it's it's got like because it's been on the calendar for so long and it's got like this special status like Bernie Eccleston who used to be the head honcho of Formula One, um, like and it's still the case that. He, Monaco would get like special deals compared to the other tracks because it seemed it seemed to be like part of the sport, part of the history, and it's just a bloody challenging track. It's just if you think about it, everything is so narrow, everything's so quick. Um, so there's hard... is it is it the most dangerous track? Like, do you see the most um, uh, 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 accidents and stuff like that? Because 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 it's a street circuit and it's just like uh, there's a lot of corners and you don't you don't get many straights. It, the overall speed is quite low compared to the other tracks. But if, ah, okay. but if you think about it, if uh, if they if they introduce Monaco now, let's say it's a brand new track, it's very very unlikely or unlikely to be approved because uh, if you one of the reasons why it's still on the calendar is because of this historical meaning. Uh, I think Nelson Piquet was the one who said like Monaco is driving, I mean, uh, riding a helicopter in a living room. And, and that's from a three-time world champion, wow. so like, yeah. that sort of like, um, like demonstrates the difficulty. But the drivers themselves seem to sort of relish it. it it's a, it's a bit of a challenge as well. Yeah, Again, fair enough. pick up Grand Turismo, mate. Like you'll you'll, you'll see. Ah, oh, we'll try it one day. <laughs> you need that. Do you need that special steering wheel, like which they have in the Formula One cars, or For- just get a normal round steering wheel? For the game itself, uh, any steering wheel will do. Um, steering wheels tend to be better than a joystick when it comes to video games and racing. Mate, that steering wheel—that steering wheel that they've got in the um, in the cars looks bloody complicated. It's oh. like a, a like a Game Boy or something. It's like all these <laughs> buttons and like, how can you keep your eye on the road, drive at whatever it is, three hundred odd kilometers per hour, and like press buttons at the same time? Do you know what I mean, like, what's going on through there? To be honest with you, I don't know myself either because uh, it's 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 amazing that they can like like have such so much precision at so much speed, but also those all these buttons and switches and toggles they are there. Like, a lot of them are there just for uh, changing like settings on the car, like things like brake bias or power modes, or and you've got communi- like buttons to communicate and mappings for the engine. Um, it's yeah, got to be some buttons like honking your horn and like hydraulics and. Like changing your lights and shit, right? <laughs> uh, I wish like pimping would, your F one car. That would have been quite cool. Like you can just kangaroo over someone else. Like that'd be a, <laughs> that'd be awesome. A little leapfrog, yeah, like, leapfrog to first place. Like, like, it would be like uh, extras in a in a Dr. Dre video. That would have been amazing. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, most of it, yeah, most of it's like 
racing car specific one. So like it, it is quite impressive that they can have the mental capacity to drive at such speeds and with such focus and then be able to sort of like have the presence of mind to change settings on a car. Like I think it was Schumacher used to be quite famous. So he'd be like going into a corner and would change like settings and then when he gets out of the corner he changes the settings. You can see them literally changing settings before they go into a corner, which is like wow. which is mad. That is nuts. Yeah, that is mad. Definitely. I, I don't know if you've ever been go karting but most of the time I'm sort of like hanging on by a friend. So like I just hope I make it through this corner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not sport, man. It's not. Um, all right. So going back to the start, when we're talking about the the actual sport itself and the appeal to it, yeah. Like looking at it in terms of you know, in comparison to other sports on a global level, mm-hmm. like obviously there's different ways to measure sports and you know how how uh, appealing they are. So obviously you've got um, you got financial reasons, you know, yeah. the financial yeah, how much money sports, that sports yeah. make, yeah, globally. <clears throat> you've got um, uh, participation mm-hmm. and then obviously you've got audience yeah so looking at um the, the latter two the the participation i'm pretty sure that's got to be quite low because like yeah. we said at the start uh, well, it's not like you started off younger <laughs> you know getting a formula yeah. car and racing down the street so that was the yeah so that's all <laughs> global audience over then well, there you go so c- global audience and revenue i guess are the two biggest indicators how big this sport is yeah. in comparison with your you know your that's, footballs your crickets yeah etc tennis so can you shed any light like from your from from anything you know like uh where it stands instead Mm -hmm. of other sports like that yeah as in like uh you you made an interesting point about like the participation of it people forget about it It, it's followed very widely but it's not practiced as much which is a bit of a shame and it's getting more and more worse because the sport itself is getting more and more expensive uh but back to your question uh from memory Formula One, when I was a teenager, used to be the third most viewed sport in the world. So after the Olympics, um, sorry, after the World Cup, Olympics, and then you got Formula One. But this was in an era where most of it was on um, terrestrial TV in most of Western Europe, which is like the traditional home of the sport. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's still the top three, but I wouldn't be much further off. Um, and, and three and what? Sorry, what was that in? Um... So it, it used to be behind uh, the Olympics and the World Cup football in terms, in terms of, of audience. You're saying, yes, yeah, so, yeah, so roughly in audience, uh, in revenue, it's uh, I, I that I wouldn't be able to give you an accurate sort of like. Yeah, re- revenue. I always thought like revenue. They must be milking it because if you look at their cars, they're literally tatted up with sponsors. I mean, like you can't oh. find a single spare space in it. It's just got sponsor after sponsor after sponsor. So they must literally be milking in terms of like endorsements and stuff. Some of the teams do, like so. For example, Ferrari does, uh, Mercedes at the moment does, but it's not as, as flush as it used to be. So F one used to be a very uh, tobacco dominated sport in terms of like if, its funding. If, so if you if you remember in the nineties and well before that, and even the mid two thousands, every team was sponsored by a tobacco company sure because uh, they had money to burn no pun intended and, mm-hmm. and <laughs> <laughs> it was a slow burner another fun for you there <laughs> See, he's on fire <laughs> oh shit touche mate <laughs> <laughs> teacher and student becomes the master uh but yeah. 
So in the 90s, there was a lot of, uh, it wasn't too hard to get sponsorship in as much because uh, it, ha- it had a wide audience. Like I say, it was like, considered to be the number three sport in terms of absolute uh, absolute uh, viewing um, figures. Uh, and, and tobacco, as you might imagine, they're oh, like a large proportion of like their revenue comes from advertising because uh, I'd imagine there's not much difference in taste or like quality when it comes to cigarettes. Well, yeah, are. mate, I mean... Without going too much in tobacco, like you think about the nineties. <laughs> no, but honestly, the t- we saw everywhere. Tobacco mm. was on every billboard yeah. in every sports yeah. stadium. You know, I mean, the, it, it was massive. So you're right. The revenue must have, yeah, the re- the amount of revenue driven from that must have been uh, astronomical. Yes, uh, so it was a different different sort of game for financing and sponsorship back in those days. It was a bit more easier. Uh, following like the ban on tobacco sponsorship, it, it, the sponsors still were there because of the audience, like uh, even the mid-2000s. If you look at the cars, there were a lot more logos and a lot more like what you might call household names on the cars. But after like, I don't know, maybe 2012, 2013, it, 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 it feels like it's drying up, but it could be the case that, yeah, the figures involved are still up there because I'm like, obviously they don't really publish these. Est- like, yeah, of course. Est- yeah, but, like of course. people just make guesses by like, they like there were quite interesting stories. So, for example, like Philip Morris, uh, the, the makers of the Marlboro cigarettes, who used to be, uh, well, they still are that main sponsor Ferrari. So, they pay Ferrari a shitload of money. Shout out to uh, to your podcast. Um, they, <laughs> <laughs> they make a shitload of money um, just from like leasing their space on the car to Philip Morris. So it's kind of weird. They can't advertise. Uh, tobacco, but they still give Ferrari money, like quite a substantial amount as well. It's quite so is that a loophole? Is that a loophole, or is that completely within their it's, it's, reach? As a, it's just in uh, terms of the I, law, I, it, it's 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 allowed because they're not advertising as such. They're not putting Marlboro on the car. Like before, I don't know if you remember, like um, some cars would have like sort of like uh, subliminal advertising. So instead of like having the Marlboro logo, they would have the logo without the lettering or they will have a barcode uh, or they would have like uh, white triangles to make you think of it uh, or like clever. have like yeah. a different, like have the driver's name in the front of the brand. So like uh, McLaren used to have like Mika and David and Kimi, but in the, in the font in the, of West cigarettes, which were like a German brand. And yeah, fair enough. Fair yeah, but it's a, yeah, it's, it's just it, it's a weird one. So they had like mission winner, which was sort of a vague term for like technology and vaping and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, you know, let's just let's be honest. The owner, the tobacco industry hasn't had like the most like nicest of reputations when it comes to advertising and circumventing any regulations around it. But it's uh, it's it's quite a funny situation where they for, where they spend so much money where for essentially, I suppose some seats for the VIPs at Philip Morris. Mm. Well, the corporates, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Uh, the big part. I mean, I guess that does occur in most sports. I mean, especially mm. if you think about football, for example. Um, if we're looking at the um, the change in revenue from, let's say, like we said, when tobacco companies were allowed to advertise mm. on these cars as opposed to current day when they're not. Um, there's another implication, which again, take an example out of football, Premier League, for example, mm-hmm. TV revenues. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously back in the day, growing up in the 90s or whatever, they, they were fully in UK on terrestrial TV or ITVs. And then I think maybe moved to another channel, but yeah. 
um, nowadays they've got a dedicated Sky Sports channel. Now, yeah. how does that help uh, financially revenues? Like, surely that must be a massive yeah. influx of cash yeah. uh, for the sport. Definitely, in, in the short term, uh, that's that's been a massive, I think, uh, increase in revenue for the sport itself in TV money. Um, a lot of it comes from a lot of the revenue comes from hosting fees for the individual countries. So most F1 races on the calendar don't tend to make a profit. Um, that is it's also one of the reasons why that. They they being held in a country like Azerbaijan or uh, uh, countries you wouldn't Dubai Abu Dhabi yeah. sorry or like China even, Russia yeah it's countries which doesn't necessarily have a, a, a motorsport heritage but like China kind of makes sense from a commercial point of view because you got one one billion people there some of the most it's kind of like most sports the, the the countries which you know may not have the most uh, well when I say sketchy that's just uh, not an opinion that's a, a vague global opinion but. They may have, they may be perceived to be sketchy yeah. countries, which they may or may not be, because I think most yeah. countries are yeah, sketchy I mean, the in their own right. There's an accusation that gets thrown a lot. Uh, it's like they yeah, use yeah. it as an image booster. So, like, absolutely, and it happens. Right? If we look at boxing, when uh, AJ went to oh, fight yeah, Ruiz in yeah. Saudi Arabia, it's the same as the things. But these countries can, yeah, they, they can put up the biggest amount of money. Yes, and a lot of them run a loss. Even Silverstone, which has like like a massive turnout, because like. Um, you can consider England as the home of F1. It, it's very originated, but it's where the sport is mostly based. All the teams are here. But even uh, Silverstone struggles uh, at times to sort of almost even break even, or like there's always like there's always like an air of uncertainty about like, are we still going to have a Silverstone Grand Prix in the next few years or not? Which is quite surprising if you look at like the, the numbers of uh, fans who flock to these races. Um, so that's like one of like one big revenue area, like hosting fees or circuit fees. And then you got the TV money, of course, and the sponsorship, um, and like I suppose like you get like merchandising itself as well. Like from the, like a team like Ferrari makes a lot of money from their brand itself. Like put it slapping on a Ferrari logo well, to a, a mug gets you a lot more money. A lot, a lot of these things you're saying, they, they just seem so. On a, on a different scale, like a different parallel, they seem very similar to a footballing club, yeah. if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like you're saying TV revenues, like advertising, like selling shirt sales across the, the world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And um, ho- you're hosting in different countries and gathering that appeal in the corporate sort of, yeah. you know, the, the corporate influence and how much money they can put into your team and your, you know, these races. Um it just seems like I guess I'm trying to figure out. I mean, from what you may or may not know, in your opinion, the um, the scale of it. Like, is it on the scale of something like the Premier League? Because obviously, we all know that's absolutely uh, that's huge. That's huge, right? Colonial. Yes, yes. I think uh, I said yes, as in like I think it's uh, relative to the Premier League, but not to football as a whole. Because like for Premier League, it might be the biggest game in town, but it's not the only game in town. Um, yeah, so. Sure. Uh, so I think the revenue is in the billions, and I think if I remember correctly, from the last Concord Agreement, which is like sort of like the the contract that sort of sets out how the basic like division of like price money and revenue amongst the teams and the owners, it's around fifty fifty or sixty forty towards the teams. So 
I don't know the exact figures, but it's in the what, billions. What, what's that? Sorry, the, that that you're talking about. The, is that the TV money you're talking about? All the all of the money. So uh, uh, F1 gets commercial revenue from TV money, hosting fees, and I, I, might be something I missed, but I think uh, those are the two main ones. And, and that, how is that split across the teams? And how is that? Is that so what you're trying that's, to say? That, how? That's an interesting. So it's uh, like I said, I think around fifty fifty or sixty forty goes towards the teams. Um, okay, what? So sixty would go to the, the organisation as a whole. No, sixty percent would form. go to the teams, and forty percent would go to the organisation as a whole. Okay, okay, fair, fair, fair. Uh, right. But the division of it, it's it's uh, you have teams that are a bit more equal than others. So you have obviously a performance based uh, ranking in terms of price money, um, but yeah, um, as you might imagine, all teams tend to look out for themselves a bit. So what, ha- what has happened is that like certain traditional um, historical teams have uh, so, so, a sort of bonus payment. So Ferrari gets a limited amount, I think it's something like $100 million or so, around that area, could be more now. Um, they just get money, that money for being Ferrari because Ferrari is a special case. They've been there since like the first race up until now. And Ferrari itself has got like a mystique uh, like sort of a legend. Uh, so, so this is a, almost a nostalgic payment in a sense of based yeah. on tradition. Teams like Ferrari, they've been there from the start. They're yeah. almost uh, so, ambassadors yeah. of the sport and the most well-known name. Yeah, well, so, no name, sorry. Ferrari, um, so they, Ferrari's got. So like, they will receive the most payment. Not necessarily. So they get like a bonus payment, uh, and plus uh, the payment for their performance. So they could have a terrible year and just get their payment for being in the sport. But they, yeah, on basically they just get like a set amount for just being Ferrari, and Ferrari does have a, a, a sort of cachet in the sport. Like it's Ferrari, uh, any any racing series like Ferrari in there is uh, it's it's hard to explain. It's a bit like uh, I don't know, like but mate. This sounds a bit like if we're talking if we're again comparing to football, like we talk about the Premier League, but the way you're describing it, it sounds a bit like like we like La Liga. Right, where yeah. it's not it's not as um, uh, equally split across the yeah. board in twenty teams in Premier League. Yeah. It seems like the the traditional teams, the most money generating teams via TV revenue and etc., do get the bulk of the the money, and that's hence why they kind of remain at the top with the highest yeah. budgets, etc. Um, it kind of seems like that then. Yes and no. So La Liga, I think, is because like the the big two. Barcelona, Real Madrid, and all, all every other team sort of independently negotiate their TV monies, and as you might imagine, like most of the attention would go towards the big two. And the F one is a combination of that too, so a combination of that and uh, just clever political maneuvering. So, like every time, like, there's been a lot of times where teams try to break away from the sport, or uh, like Ferrari specifically, where they just want to get more and more money from the organisers. Um, so one of the reasons that Red Bull gets like a payment is, if I remember correctly, they were one of the first ones who signed up to the agreement. So they get like a bonus for just being there. And uh, the st- I think the story is that they got Ferrari on board. So if you get Ferrari and Red Bull, we had two teams at a time. Then- Sorry, V10. Um, yep. j- just one, one, one question again about that. What, what what agreement are you talking about exactly, sir? So this is a thing called the Concord Agreement, which sort of like uh, ties you into the sport and like some general regulations and uh, like terms and conditions for like taking part of the sport and like how the price money is divided, things like this. It used, uh, used to be called the Concord Agreement. I think yeah, it's probably still called the same. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So like there is like a tug and pull. So the teams always want to get more and more money and the organisers want to keep 
uh, as much as they can, I suppose. That, that's how it works in the world of business. So uh, if if the teams feel like they get more money, they want, they want more money or they can get more money, they they, they always like have the threat of, oh, we're going to break away or like Ferrari does a lot. Like even now, like I'm sure you've heard about the budget caps in the sport. There's this like sort of like... Well, yeah, that's, some, that's something I read about, actually, and that's something I was going to hmm. uh, pose to you, that question. So, there is this budget cap, apparently yeah. it's coming through on, in, apparently in 2021. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming currently that from the way you described it, based on your knowledge and opinion, um, there is an unfair advantage towards teams such as Ferrari, these nostalgic kind of teams. Yeah. Um, it's it's how how yes, will that budget? Yes, and again, it's, it's for, like F1 is a very murky sort of sport at times. So it's very political as well. Like yes and no. Yes, it's unfair, but at the same time, we want like there is an incentive to keep Ferrari for the good of the sport. Almost that's that's one of the reasons why people just sort of accept it. Like you want to keep Ferrari to make sure that it doesn't lose that prestige of having Ferrari. Is it is it is it more prestige or is it more financially based? Because obviously you said they do draw in the most money globally based on things like merchandise and things like that maybe even TV revenue. People might be a big yeah. Ferrari advocate and they yeah. might so you know if, join in just see a Ferrari car. It might go to a race you know holding a Ferrari flag. Yeah. So uh, is it, it more is it more prestige or is it more financial? Financial. Well, they both they both go hand in hand. Like if your if your sport goes up in prestige, the value of it goes up, right? Like mm, um, okay, yeah. And Ferrari is deemed to like the sport itself can probably survive without Ferrari. Um, well, we don't know because it's, it's we never had that situation where we didn't have Formula F one. But I guess if you're saying prestige and finance, financial as well. I mean, if the if the organization is almost propping up this car based on you know how much money they get each year and giving them bonuses because of their prestige, because they were there from day one. Yeah. It seems to be a you know a win-win for both situations where all other yes, cars. Yes, but if you're another middle. team, then you then it goes against the basic fairness of the of the sport almost, isn't it? Like similar, like with like the, one of the reasons why the Premier League is so successful is because of the collective bargaining. Like yes, United and Blackburn Rovers or whoever was at the top at the time might have taken a financial hit in the short term. But over the longer term, considering the amounts that are like that are being paid for the TV rights they're benefiting hugely um, rather than if they would have gone it alone. Because the league itself is like a rising tide lifts all boats. Whereas, uh, I don't know how it is with you, but for me, the La Liga is basically, I watch the Barcelona games and the Real Madrid games, but the rest of it, um, it's, it's, I'm not as concerned about. Whereas with the Premier League, it's... Well, I guess they get shown more as well. Yeah, so... I mean, that's the, that's the purpose of that TV... Sort of privilege they get, they get shown more globally. Hence, why they get more TV rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. TV revenue. But you could argue, like, if if this carries on, the league in itself, it's it's it, the, the Spanish league itself is losing out towards the uh, Premier League. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I guess I mean, all right. So we don't want to sort of we're getting a bit off topic. too much. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's another show. But yeah, I mean, I get. I guess there's things that financial fair play that come in, and obviously, you know, the last two decades, you'd have rich billionaire owners have come into clubs and yeah, yeah. prop them up to try and get them on par with your, like you said, in Premier yeah. League, Manchester United's yeah. and, and in the and La Liga's get, maybe. And you have the similar uh, similar sort of thing in F1 as well. So not necessarily rich uh, individual owners, uh, but mostly like car companies. So car companies, they are willing to run a, uh, run at a loss 
because it brings publicity. So you also have that aspect too. It's not just there. The sustainability doesn't necessarily rely on like being able to survive financially. So you have the privateer teams. For them, it's really important to be able to balance the books. For but for for Mercedes, uh, for like Ferrari, and the other manufacturers, it's also a a marketing exercise because uh, you get to show that you're better than the competition. Your your technology, your cars are better than anyone else on the field. Yeah, it's the old no, uh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Yeah, I'm not making this up, mate. Like this is a real thing. <laughs> no, no, I get it. It's just it's very deep and very, very impactful. I'm glad to use it every week. It's my new motto going forward in life: win on Sunday, sell on Monday. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. As long as people know about it, like you can't just have like private victories or something like that. It's just to be uh, against the competition. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just, 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 just uh, to try and finish up this topic, the um, the budget cap, which we did discuss, you know, which is due, which was due to come in in twenty twenty one. So that we're saying is kind of like again, we're making a lot of comparison to football, just because it's probably arguably the the global sport. Yeah, and it's easy in the world. Yeah, uh, I guess it yeah. gives it also well, well, most people who are listening to this uh, a frame of reference, I suppose. Yeah, it's just easier, just not to mm. to acknowledge what we're discussing, but. This budget cap which is coming. So, is it kind of on par with a financial fair play situation where it's no? It's, well, it's, I, guess, I guess that's more complicated. The financial fair it's, play. It's it's yeah, is yeah. it kind of everyone's on a level playing field in terms of how much they can spend? Yeah, they can't spend. You know, outside yeah. of their means or etc. Compared to the FFP, see what I did there. Save some time. Uh, it's. <laughs> I know, man. Your description kind of longed out. <laughs> 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 well, back back to the topic, and uh, it's um, uh, it brings more of an even playing because the uh, financial fair play uh, matches the, the spending caps to the revenue they generate, whereas I think the spending caps in F one are just more of an absolute figure. Although there are like massive uh, loopholes and uh, gaps in it, so if, if I remember correctly, uh, driver salaries uh, and maybe key technical personnel salaries are not included and in my view like more so than the drivers the, the, the main engineers are what like getting the star engineers is what really is the key to success uh, but also but also the the driver salaries are mad when it comes to the top teams like, like hamilton is around 50 or 40 million dollars hotels a bit under that and uh, ricciardo is on crazy money right now i think it's over 20 million well, listen. That, that, that's actually a question I wanted to come to in a, in a sec. But yeah. just just to finish up this uh, this budget thing. So if 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 cars are now they've got a budget cap, they can't spend. They've all got to spend an equal amount, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it's obviously it's a step towards uh, a more fair level playing yeah. field. But but there are these these cars which have obviously for years had uh, massive financial. Um, sort of gains compared to other other car manufacturers now they must have developed their car in such a way that they must be not years but just to exaggerate there must be years ahead of you know the car in first place and the car in last place yeah it must yeah, be yeah. years ahead so regardless of the budget cap everything they're doing in terms of r&d you know they, they, they're going to be one step ahead regardless and Yes. You know, is that really going to affect anything too much? This budget cap. Well, eventually, well, eventually, long term, it should. Um, we don't know actually because we never had a uh, like a, a 
budget cap. Uh, to answer your question, then, like if we kept the same regulations, then yes, so, like the teams that have like an entrenched advantage would probably carry it on for the next few years. Although, because uh, of like the law of dimish- diminishing returns, eventually the field would come back closer. But what's happening in 2021? I think it might be pushed to 2022 now because of uh, COVID. It's it was it's a massive um, rule change, which kind of uh, changes how the cars are being built and designed. So right now, uh, uh, a lot of it comes from the diffuse. Uh, the, the, the grip of the car comes from the aerodynamics uh, over the car, right? And after 2022 or, or 2021, it, it changes the, the the way the cars are designed. It, it becomes more of a ground effect car, which is what happened in the 80s, which basically means that the car itself is like, if you imagine a, an airplane wing, you turn it upside down, and the car itself becomes like a massive wing. We're, we're moving more towards that direction, uh, which is like complete, like the point of it is basically a complete overhaul of like what the cars are, the, uh, the cars are like now. So there's a chance that, yes, you have built up an advantage in like the thinking of the current cars, but with the rules being changed, it gives people more of a chance to catch up or leapfrog the established order. Uh, so do you see this budget do you, do you think it's a good a good thing for the sport so uh, to complete I'm a massive Ferrari fan and uh, I've got <laughs> I've got mixed feelings it's, are you also a Real Madrid and Man United fan not a Real Madrid and Man United fan I'm a, a Barcelona and Ajax fan okay that's close enough <laughs> well I'm an Ajax fan but like it, it, as you might have seen it, it takes a long time for us to be European contenders like once every <laughs> 20 years and you know, I want to. I want to. I pay a lot of money for beauty sport to watch the Champions League, so I can't be exclusively an Ajax supporter. That's money just wasted. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've got mixed feelings about. It. Yes, I think it's necessary for the sport. Uh, it's it's the, the amounts that are being spent is ridiculous, uh, especially for some of the things they spend it on. Like uh, a lot of the like money is spent around sort of like curving the air around the rolling tires and like uh it, it sometimes i do wonder like oh, like does that advance humanity as much as it could be considering the amount spent like f1 don't get me wrong f1 has made loads of uh, contributions towards like uh road cars themselves and had a massive impact on the environment uh it, almost in a i'd, I'd, I'd argue in a, in a good sense because even though the sport itself is heavily it's massively polluting. <laughs> Heavily polluting the environment. Yeah, yeah. It's making big contributions to Yeah, but it's the same as like having a climate conference in Bali where oh, where most of them are based in Europe in America. Like Yeah, but that's all a joke. But sorry, man. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, in terms of technology, like it has made a massive contribution towards it. like the use of carbon fiber was uh, introduced in F one. And now it's like creeping more and more into normal regular uh, production car use. So the carbon fiber is like a, a very lightweight, very strong material, which brings the weight down. Uh, and if you if you make your car less heavy, then your car becomes more efficient because there's less of you to lug. Unless you had like a massive breakfast, but like, I don't know. Right. Or you could make your drivers lighter. That's another another way to make yes, it in the sport, more efficient, right? In the sport itself, you mean, or you mean like in real life? 
that's gonna be a tough 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 advertisement mate. this car could be tough quick task. if only you didn't eat so much <laughs> <laughs> don't stop at mcdonald's stop it i don't know whatever place does a drive through healthy food but yeah that's uh stop at a field and eat some grass <laughs> yeah, do some agriculture burn out those calories <laughs> actually you know that's that's um it's a good um sort of uh, thing you mentioned because obviously in the UK they they've announced that they decided to ban what all oh. also what petrol diesel and yeah, like, hybrid yeah. cars I mean they said what 20 2035 yeah. yeah. well I think it might have been brought, and I think it might have been brought back brought forward to 2030 <clears throat> I think it was 2040 and they brought it forward okay, to yeah. 2035 but obviously who knows what's going to happen yeah either way yeah, it's going to be a sad day for yeah. me Either way, that's 15 years away. Obviously, for a long, lot of people, that's a long time away. But in terms of a sport, a global sport, um, preparations must start being start to be made, at least like to discuss and this and the other. We, um, <laughs> it's funny, it's, uh, it's a funny situation. Do you know anything about this? The sport itself has moved uh, towards a more, uh, like well, I, was, I was trying to make the point before, like, we're moving towards a more environmentally friendly th- uh, uh, mm. direction. So these engines, like yes, the sport itself is heavily polluting, because um, like most of it, like the vast majority of the pollution comes from transporting these cars into wherever they need to go, or in, like for the fans traveling there. The actual emissions from the sport itself, it's it's tiny, and also if you look at it relatively in terms of like, how efficient they are in terms of getting the most out of the fuel, uh, the current Formula One cars are absolutely mind-boggling they get like thermal efficiencies of 50 percent. so if you're an engineer that's quite of a wow figure because like most normal petrol engine cars like before turbos and stuff come in they're at 30 percent. so they get 20 percent more out of the fuel at least that's what my understanding is as a uh sure, as a person sure, sure. watching yeah, this board they yeah, get 20 percent yeah. more use out of the fuel than what what was before when we had like the normally aspirated engines um, and that that is is quite impressive. Uh, also, like the, the the innovations they may be making on carbon brakes, uh, safety, like carbon cell mon- like uh, carbon fiber monoblock uh, monocoque. Sorry. Um, so, they're, but, they're... but just to, just to jump in, um, yeah, yeah, no, uh, of course. Then, um, so obviously, like I said, it's fifteen years away. Based on this, is obviously the UK um, government proposal of banning all these cars by that date. As the actual sport in 15 years, they surely must be thinking behind closed doors. Like, all right, so you got Formula E, is it? This, yeah, uh, so electric show. that's so that's a di- that's slightly. But do you, do you, yes, but do you think there is going to be heavy investment, heavy time spent into this sport itself because they see it as the kind of it's pinnacle the rep? Yeah, ba- well, basically, when 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 the um this, the, the the legal changes come into place. Mm then this will be the new Formula One. So let's put everything into this. Let's see how we can transform these current, these, these you know, old school legacy drivers and stuff into these new sort of model of driving mm. and um, really bolster this sport and really sell this sport. Is that the easiest way to do it? Or is, like you said, all these individual, nig- n- you know, niggles you do to an engine the best way forward? It's, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, the engines themselves are impressive, but I, I see where you're coming from. Like, is this sport still going to be around there? I think that is that, well, yeah, basically, because it because if it's illegal in one country, for example, yeah. like UK, I know we're talking about Silverstone, 
fair enough, you might just drop it from your calendar. But obviously, I'm assuming it's going to be a global thing in the sense of around that time period, give or take yeah. X amount of years. It will be a, a global thing. So I, the whole sport yeah. as, as a whole will have to adapt, yeah. I'm assuming. I uh, The answer is I don't know. Um, there is no, like, there is no, well, any indication no, no. that a sport is moving towards electrification as, as, as of yet. But you would imagine it would go that direction. But also you have to keep in mind, that's the UK and Europe. Uh, you have like, uh, I don't know if what China's position is, but the US has made no commitments, which is like still well, forget, huge market. Forget the US. Forget the US. They're dangerous. <laughs> they're dangerous when it comes to climate control. So yes, forget, but, forget them. Well, whether we like it or not, they're like still the second biggest market in the world for cars. I think China might have overtaken them. But well, maybe well, in value, they'll still be number one. because <clears> yeah. in, in Formula One, how much impact are they in Formula One? Do they have what one race? Obviously, yes, one yes. race, but uh, Formula, that's also yeah. Formula One is not a US centric sport. Uh, the US, well, if we're talking about just Formula One, if we're talking about just Formula One, just strip them from the calendar, right? No, 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 can't do that. They're, they're still like, come on, <laughs> strip them. Well, yeah, we most no, we need the estates because, like I said, they're like a, a massive market. Um, oh, Formula One fans, just a massive market in itself. So, if you if you have a world championship without a race in the US. So imagine if you're a sponsor, uh, you want a race in the States to, to, to have your logo display. <clears throat> yeah, but if they're not, if the, if the, if the majority of the race, every race bar one has to move forward because they're agreeing with this climate change thing and they have to, by law based on the countries, cut these cars who are, you know, uh, spewing out these um these emissions which are not allowed to anymore at that date then what's the easiest solution to lose money from all these races I, or just the one i don't there's there is this thing uh, there's this sometimes this like uh, strand of thought which like sort of goes like uh sort of the uh, relationship with like cars and like making road cars better and all of that and being the pinnacle of innovation let's just keep it a show let's bring back the v10s and v12s um which have a, a much more glorious noise. I, I, I don't know if you remember, like uh, when you were growing up uh, in presumably the nineties and early two thousands. Do you remember the noise of those cars, even on the TV? Yeah, they were very loud when I grew up. In yeah, the they're very 70s distinct. And 80s. They're very. Uh, there's nothing like it anymore. Um, so that. Yeah, I'm not a fan of those noises. To be honest, not a big fan of those noises. I just give you a bit of an earache. <laughs> So for most of the enthusiasts, that's the, well, at least for me, that was the peak of noise, both in volume and decibels and whatever the, the things are. And, and that, it, where that came from straight the engine, I'm assuming. Yes, that's just a naturally aspirated engine. So that means there was no turbos or superchargers that sort of mute the engine. Uh, plus they ran ridiculous revs. So um, they ran around from the like 16 and 8,000 uh, revs per minute to around almost 20,000 uh, in like the mid 2000s before they got faced uh, uh, before a bit not mid, mid 2000s I mean like uh, early 2010s um, so like you know how your car if you look at your tachometer in your car it goes up to 6,000 or 7,000 or 8,000 if you're like having a six thousand mate 6,000 mate got a diesel uh, probably more on the 5,000 there um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know mate <laughs> 
I'm, 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 I'm willing to I'm willing to take that risk. <laughs> but those cars, I think they idled at six thousand and they rev up to nineteen thousand. So fuck nineteen thousand. Yes, and it's out of yeah. a relatively small block, three liter, and there's not much sound deafening because uh, it just comes straight out of the engine. So the noise of those things are amazing. Whereas the new cars, to my ears, they just sound like a souped-up Uber. Like Dyson should be sponsoring these things because whenever you <laughs> Dyson sponsored by Dyson, Formula yeah, because especially Dyson. when you see the inboard videos, you can hear the engine, but like you can hear the induction, it's like shh, and it's it's it's. Uh, I can I can appreciate the technology, the efficiency, and like the sheer power of the engine. They're like like as engines, they're like more efficient. They're more impressive than what they used to be, but a lot of the fans and a lot of the drivers and a lot of the, like the core like F one fans, I think, prefer that. So there is a, there is a strand that say like like you know what like let's stop pretending to be saving the world with this. Just just like make the fans happy, but there is a risk to that obviously because a lot of that comes from people who grew up on the sport. Uh, and it might not be the case for the younger generation because they they only know from the like YouTube clips. Well, the younger generation will be the future, right? Yeah. So obviously, you can't yeah. you can't hold on to and, and it becomes the, a bit of a difficult proposition for manufacturers because manufacturers will be like uh, a lot of it. A lot of the, the, the I suppose when they go to the boardrooms and say like, "Why are we in F one?" They could say like, "Hey, it's like a test bed for our technology uh, for our road cars." You, you kind of I mean, miss that. Okay, listen, uh, V10, if I want to put, pose this question to you, all right, so just to sum up on this um, sort of climate change model thing we're talking about. Yeah. So obviously, like we said, we gave UK as an example, 2035, we, we yeah. think the the new laws will come into place where you can't have any petrol, diesel, hybrid cars on the, on the streets, whatever. Yeah. So I'm assuming that, that, that applies to Silverstone and maybe some other racetracks across Europe and the world. If you were in charge, if you were the head of Formula One, what route would you go down? Would you go down the route of from now, we've got 15 years or so, uh, to change and really do some R&D uh, and change these cars to make them ready in time to keep the sport alive ooh. as it is, as, as close as possible? Or would you go down the route of uh, really bolstering your investment and time and money into something like Formula E, where it's kind of ready-made, um, a ready-made uh, structure and uh, competition, do you know what I mean? Where it's kind of it says what it does on the tin, and it applies by these mm. these rules coming in the future. So that that um, like legislation, I don't know if it applies to motor racing. So we don't know. I don't know if that if that applies to motor racing itself as well. Because Let, let's just assume. Let's just assume it does, right? We don't well, know. Like it, said, that's the biggest assumption because, like, you could make a case where the UK has such a strong base for mo- uh, motorsports. Like I mentioned, all of the teams are here. A lot of specialists are here. Uh, Cosworth, Pro Drive. Uh, there's a reason why they call. Let, 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 yeah. Let's just assume. Let, let's just assume climate change is so big, which a lot of people may not agree with. Which I think is no, it silly is. because it, is it obviously is. It's definitely so, the most pressing let's just issue. Assume, definitely. Well, let's just assume motor racing does take a second fiddle to that. Then, yeah. And let's okay. assume it, it has to oblige with the road road cars, right? Let's well, see. What, again, what, like I mentioned, like if if we move to a uh, non-carbon emitting world then f1 would be relatively tiny because it's like i said it's if you think about it, it's just 20 cars 
Uh, but like, I see your point. Like, should we move to an electric propulsion? I, I, to be honest with you, I don't. I don't know. It's a bit. It's a bit too early to say. Like electric, there's a reason why F, F, uh, Formula E is um, so much slower than F1. Uh, so, but you would imagine that they will catch up, and eventually, uh, if when once they get the batteries on point, uh, electric cars will be massively quicker, I suppose, than what we have currently. Well, so, well, actually, this, well, this is this is one of the points, uh, V10. I was saying, like, you have 15 years, like you know the time scale. You have 15 years to put this time and money and investment into making these batteries maybe to perform as not as well, but close enough, as close as possible to the current Formula Formula One cars. So I'm saying, would you put your time and effort into that now? Or would you do your very best to keep Formula One as it is alive and maybe try and make little tweaks here and there so, and try uh, and go down the route of manipulating governments okay. and legislation so, to keep your sport? To right? answer your question, it's there are certain like uh, presumptions and assumptions that we're making. So we're some, assuming that F, like, oh, yeah, motorsport yeah. falls under the category that you can't, uh, alongside the UK. And yeah, let's yeah. Just 100% assume, big assumption. Yeah, let's yeah. just assume that the whole world just says, you know what? No more burning of fuel from a certain time up, yeah. point of view. How are we going to prepare yeah. for that? Um, uh, the way I would do it, uh, and if F1, if you guys are listening, uh, make sure you sh- give a shout at me uh, when you do do this. <laughs> <laughs> who are you talking to? <laughs> if you guys are listening, have you got I know, there could some, be some enthusiasts who are some, like big up in the F1. Some stuff. <laughs> Some Ferrari engineers, you're giving them yeah. like a secret shout out yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, I don't you know. guys are listening. Yeah, yeah. I bought the plan. Exactly. There, there might be people who have a shed and love F1, so and be working. I F1. think you're, you're. I think you're more. You're deeper into F1 than any of us. I would just basically allow F Formula E to take its course, uh, run the development through there. That's what's kind of happening. That's why you have a massive influx of manufacturers going into that sport. Like if you look at the uh, names involved in that. In that category, you got like all the you got like a, an array of massive manufacturers. Like from the top of my head, I think you got BMW, Mercedes in there, uh, Audi, I think, or uh, uh, Renault, lot, yeah, it? DS, which I think it's a Citroen PSA group. Um, so I would let the development go through there, and then eventually, if it turns out to be, because like I like uh, like I said, the potential for electric uh, propulsion. In terms of performance, it's much higher. If you look at like a, a Tesla Free or, a, or a, most of the electric cars, they 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 tend to ally, uh, they tend to like destroy most conventional combustion engines, uh, combustion powered cars. Sorry. So okay. there is the only problem with that is because the batteries are so heavy and they take up so much space that like it doesn't make sense in a race car for now. But eventually, when we get to that point, they might swap it over. So what? I would imagine that might this might be a like emerging of the two like Formula One. Formula E gets quicker and quicker uh, to the point that it's quicker than F one, and then either F one becomes FE or FE becomes F one, or FE might uh, Formula One might exist as a sort of a niche category for like almost for people who like the vinyl version of cars. They just you know how you have like a uh, you know with watches. That's this is what I'm hoping for. Like you know with watches like. Yes, you can buy an Apple Watch, which is a million times more accurate than your uh, Omega or Re- Rolex or Audemars Piguet. I mean, yeah. But people still buy Rolexes and Audemars Piguets, even though they're not the best at keeping time. That is true. So that I'm hoping true. it comes to a situation that... 
But then again, those Rolexes and Omegas, whatever, they're, they're not illegal technically, if we're assuming these cars will be illegal, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe that, that's that's what like, I'm hoping for, some sort of exemptions so that, um, like, that it's, it's just wishful thinking at the moment. I don't know. I don't know what the world is going to be at 15 years' time, but it would be, yeah, it would be nice enough. if, like, there is a sort of romanticism and heritage towards combustion engines and... Well, you're right. If you're if you're a big car enthusiast, like you said, the things you sort of um, came uh, said, like the the sound of that natural engine and this that, and the other, just going <laughs> wild. I can tell how it's much like, you it, how much you're into that from saying this that the other. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's music. It's music to your ears. Well, maybe maybe to non car enthusiasts, it's just fucking um, roid uh, noise pollution. So, well, yeah, but I get I get what you're saying. Um, you drive. That's it. fair enough, though. I was just you're gone. No, I was just saying. So I was just trying to get your point of view on um, what would you start doing from now. And all right, Formula E seems to be a feasible option just because everything seems to be in place. Yeah, Formula, just Formula about E. Getting the race on. Formula E is now almost, from my, my view, it's it's almost like a test bed because the cars are standard. Uh, and the development seems to be in the propulsion of it, like how they can make it go quicker. So it's it's a it's a good test bed to advance. Uh, electric cars from my view like I, I don't like again like Formula E I, I hardly follow it uh, it's just uh, no but listen it, it's just, no, I get what you're saying it's, com- it's completely brand new it's yeah. in its testing phase or something like you said and if, if if we go back to what you said earlier at the start of the podcast you were saying basically prestige nostalgia tradition obviously plays a huge role in these cars and these manufacturers and how they're perceived and how much money they get and how much fans they get and how much merchandise to sell and TV rights, et cetera. Mm-hmm. If you are in the dawn of something potentially groundbreaking the central in the sense of this is where the world is going. Mm-hmm. If you were if you were a Ferrari, if you were one of these big manufacturers, why wouldn't you invest in these Formula E cars and say, all right, they- we can see the direction of the world, where it's going based on climate change, et cetera, et cetera. Let's be the new tradition of Formula E. Because in 50, 60, 100 years time, We'll be the tradi- We'll be, we'll be yeah, the sort of you know yeah, early adopters. That's that's a good question. Um, Ferrari is a special case. Like Mercedes and the other brands are all in it. Renault is in it. Renault's an F one and isn't there as well. Honda is like uh, moving towards electrification as well. Uh, Ferrari is. It's, it's, it, I think it will make the switch. Like you have hybrid Ferraris already. By the way, they're 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 top of their range car. The La Ferrari. Which means the Ferrari, yeah, but hybrid, hybrid, hybrids under this new rule is not included. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm right. switching it back to the roadside of the like the like the the, oh, fair, the, fair, the fair. top the top spec Ferraris is, is the Ferrari La Ferrari, which is Italian for Ferrari the Ferrari. Oh, okay, which is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was going I was going to lead up to it, but you interrupted me there. But <laughs> sorry, mate, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't realize again. I'm not I'm not a petrol. <laughs> So I'll teach you the ways. Um, so there, uh, I'm there, all right. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing on this podcast? <laughs> it's a, a show <laughs> um, so it's it's there, there. There is a recognition that like electric is probably the way of the future, but it, I think for with Ferrari and Lamborghini and those kind of cars, I think the thinking is again. This is just an armchair spectator. Uh, not this is not F one. This is just the business model of making high performance cars, uh, which is not necessarily related to F one at all. But there is this. I think there is this sort of 
their their unique selling point or USP um, is that is their expertise in making engines that are soulful in a sense that they have that character that, that, that have a history behind it uh, like I mentioned those mechanical watches so I don't know how that's going to work in the future like uh, is this an, an area that, that will allow certain cars to emit co2 because if you if you think about it, if, if we can move to a co2 free world where we have like renewable energy maybe I don't know nuclear fusion and all the most of the cars are electric it doesn't really matter if a few cars emit a lot of CO2s, as long as they don't emit anything else polluting, like your diesel car might be. Petrol tends to just burn up quite clean and tends to be mostly CO2, whereas diesel could be anything. Then there is a, hopefully there is there is a future for those kind of brands, like, like mechanical watches or like horses, because when cars came in, the horse became some sort of a hobby thing. So I think maybe the industry can move towards that um, but you're right. I think longer term they should, like especially for the volume manufacturers, it would make more sense to sort of move towards the electric side. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So um, moving away from the future a bit now, because obviously, I mean, that's an interesting and very yeah, it's all speculation. Discussion. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of speculation, a lot of assumptions, but it's obviously very important as well because mm-hmm. it is kind of where the world is and should be yeah. going. But um. We're talking about current day Formula Ones again. Um, talking about speeds of the car. Yeah. Right? So, speeds of the car. I mean, one interesting fact which I learned, that they, they, the speeds have gotten faster, mm-hmm. but regulations and additional safety have actually been impo- sort of imposed to slow the car down. Yes. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. There's, there's this push and pull. So you have the engineers pushing for faster cars uh, and pro- probably drivers too. Uh, and then you have the regulating body that brings it back a bit. Because um, like uh, my thinking is uh, if you ask a driver, hey, this car is 10% faster but 5% more unsafe, um, what do you want to do? They're going to go for the car that's 10% faster and 5% unsafer then vice versa. Um, and and if you left F1 to itself without regulations or very like soft-touch regulations, what I mean by regulations are technical regulations, not like the, uh, the sport itself, which also varies over time. But it's based... So not like the track, not like regulations on the track yeah. to increase safety, right? That too, you have that aspect as well. So you have like uh, changes to the track that you make for safety, but that doesn't slow the cars down necessarily. Well, some, some, yes, yes and no, actually. So you can have, actually, you can you can put a chicane in, in the middle of a straight. So a straight, a chicane is like a, a tight left, right, or right, left. Uh, is you, that what happened um, after, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned, I watched that Senna documentary on Netflix and it was it was quality in terms of getting all that back, back uh, you know, behind the scenes sort of feedback and whatnot. But they showed they showed how much the regulation sort of changed yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. on the yeah, track. I was going to I was going to come to that. Um, oh, sure, it, on sorry, the track, no. it, I, I, I don't, I'm not I'm not entirely sure if it changed uh, that track specifically, Imola. I'm sure they did. Um, so this has been like a long ongoing process. Uh, so this started like uh, I think in the late '60s. Uh, so wait, what happened in like the '60s? I think is uh, the, the tracks kept remained the same, but the cars kept on getting faster and faster. Um, so what happened was uh, tracks that were relatively safe at lower speeds become more and more dangerous 
it was already dangerous in the fifties. Let, let, let's get that straight. It's just like those guys were mad. They just had like a leather hat on and went for yeah, it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but they get more and more dangerous. So, uh, and there were like some simple things that you, you could do, like have some armcos, uh, have the track not be like ridiculously long. So if if an accident does happen, it doesn't take too long for the ambulance to come through. Um, have, try and not have trees because trees don't really bend if you crash into them. Not that I have, but it looks like it. Um, so things like that, you have that aspect of it. You also have the aspect of slowing the cars down. So like I said, if you engineer, if you left, if you leave the engineers to it, they will just come up with a car that has more and more grip, more and more power. And the faster you go, the riskier it gets. It's like it's just intuitive, isn't it? Like if you drive faster on a motorway, yeah, of you're course, increasing yeah, yeah. you're increasing your risk of dying. Absolutely. Um, so in a, uh, there's this like there's a slow movement like I think start with Jackie Stewart he or, or at least he accelerate a lot like to get like people to hear drivers' concerns, uh, which is an interesting case. Like I mentioned like before an earlier conversation, where drivers are kind of a weird weird species when it comes to safety. I think it feels like when, once they're out of the car, they can like sort of like make great suggestions and make it safer. But when they're in the car regardless of the track or danger, it seems like they just go for it. Like Jackie Stewart made tremendous advances to safety and like championed that bit, but he was also a three-time world champion. He also went around the Nürburgring. I think also went in the, in the rain. He was, he was not, he was not scared in the car. But, it, but it, this comes back to an age old argument about not like, so fear factor, um, being aggressive, being good in the rain and other, you know, mm. sort of difficult conditions, does that make you more likely to win a cha- uh, championship? So we're going slightly off topic in, in the earlier question from like safety, speed and regulations, but like... <laughs> we're going into full-on, yeah, yeah. full-on, yeah. full-on, who, who, who's the most aggressive move? Uh, so I, so I'll, I'll try and answer this and bring it back to so like the aggressiveness of a driver uh, for me there are two ways like you have the aggressiveness towards the other contenders uh, which is is a different equation as what it used to be so like you like like i mentioned like it used to be a lot more dangerous um so people were more more aware of that so you wouldn't have people like trying to like change uh, change direction under braking or trying to push someone out uh, it seems I don't know. Like that, that's my that's my intuition. Whereas now it's because the cars are a lot more safer. Drivers are more comfortable. Sort of like it. Well, it appears to be comfortable. Again, I, we're not in the cars. We don't know how it is. But it, it went from the outset of it, it. Looks like they're willing to take more risks. So you have that sort of aggression. You also have the aggressiveness of how you interact with the car itself. So some drivers are very smooth. They they want to they want to uh, it almost feels like they want to go for the track with uh, with trying to put as minimum amount of steering movement into the car as possible. So like drivers like Alan Prost, Jensen Button, they seem to be like the smooth drivers. And then you also have drivers who are a bit more aggressive with the car. They want to just slide in and like sort of like take it by its neck and sort of like drag the car through the corners almost. So, but that's that has less to do with safety. It's just a driving style itself. Sure. Yeah. yeah fair enough. Um, but back to regulations again. Yes. So, <laughs> engineers always want to make the car faster, and there are historical events that 
that pushes back. So, like, I re- do you remember when I talked about having a car that it's basically an upside down aero wing, aeroplane wing? Yeah, I didn't get that, but yeah, I just sort of smiled and nodded. <laughs> that was a that's a very convincing nod. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, like the whole, if you think about it, if the whole car is a wing, the whole bottom of the car is a wing. You get a lot more downforce. So, downforce is the the, the aerodynamic pressure that pushes the car on the floor. Okay. So uh, it's like the opposite. You know how a plane's wings generate lift, so the plane gets off the air. Yeah. In F one, you want the opposite. You want the, the 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 wings to push you into the tarmac. That's why it allows them to go crazy speeds around the corner. It's not the mechanical tire grip or the low weight. It's most of it's just aerodynamics. So okay. So you. So what part of the car is it targeting? Is it the tail or like oh, it, right at the back? Um, well, th- that's the thing. My understanding is that you need a balanced thing. So you can't have like all the downfalls at the front because then you have a loose back end or all the downfalls at the back. Then you have like a front. Then you have a car that understeers. That means it doesn't want to steer because like your rear tires are sticking but the front tires are not making as much contact with the ground as they can. Okay. okay. Think of it this way. If you're doing a wheelie, it's, it's harder to steer. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So that and that's that's like the the F one uh, the the all the R and D right now goes into aerodynamics. Um, so back in the eighties, we had like cars that were that we call ground effect, where basically the car whole car is a wing, and they generate a lot of um, aerodynamic uh, pressures, and and they were quite efficient as well. So normally, what happens is if you have a wing on the car, if you think about it, it also creates drag. Imagine standing upright in the wind or like making yourself as small as you could. Mm-hmm. So if you stand upright, you, you get you catch a more you catch a lot more wind and that like potentially create more downforce, but it's not the most efficient way. So back then we had this like quite cool combination of like efficiency and downforce. Uh by the eighties they just became too fast, those cars. So we banned it. And like in the nineties, uh, you got the same. When after Senna's death, we decided to slow it down. Tracks become more safer. Um, the cars got um, narrower. The tires, instead of having slicks, they became um, groove tires, so they don't have much as a contact patch. Uh, so there's, there's 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 not that's not a single answer. I know it's a bit of a cherry picking random examples I did, but it, there is always there's always been this like push and pull in safety and speed all right just just one question on the, if we're talking about the design of the car and talking about aerodynamics and what makes it go faster and even what's more safe so a few things which i want to touch so you have open tires which i think uh yeah, we from what open wheel you've, ex- yeah. you've ex- the open wheel sorry you've, you've explained to that to me a, a while back i remember yeah, yeah. where you know i was so confused like, what the hell was open wheel? but then you just realized it's not covered by Sort of the bumper yeah. or the part of the car or anything you, like that. Yeah, you, it's fully you, open. Yeah, you can see the wheels from most angles. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, fine, that's one thing. And then you have a potential uh, introduction of a cockpit where the driver's sort of head and body is obviously covered by yeah. uh, a streamlined sort of protective casing. And all right, both those examples, I feel like both of them could make the car go faster technically. I mean, I don't know, I'm not an engineer, but it could because obviously the way yeah. you create those yeah. sort of casings, that's, that's, it could sort. That's that's a good point. Uh, uh, 
I'll be honest, the, the close cockpit, uh, I don't know why we have an open cockpit. It's just uh, why it's always been there. It's, there's an element of safety though to it. Like, so if you're stuck in a burning F1 car, you don't want to be enclosed. Uh, oh, really? That's a, that's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, I that's actually a very good point. I never even thought about that. <laughs> Fire is hot. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. If if, if the car is burning, like yeah. we've seen many, many, many yeah. different races. But from an engine, from an engineer's point of view, I'd imagine they'd rather enclose it because it, it it's it's less messy, I suppose. Because you, you can you can the air around it, I suppose, goes. It would be cleaner as opposed to having a head wobbling about at 200 miles an hour. Well, that's it. It's, it is a bobblehead, isn't it? If the wind is striking yeah. at that pace, it's literally a, a bobblehead. Well, going I with think the, the, so the, 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 the g-forces and the and the wind would probably lock it in place somewhat. But yeah, it's not it's not the most efficient shape, I would imagine. Um, so, I, I, it's I think it's just an open wheel, open cockpit formula. It's it's just uh, but, but, it's just. But you know, I've, I've I've seen I've seen when cars roll and shit like they do in Formula One, which you see so many times, you're always literally like like cringing, like oh shit, is his head just been crushed? Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's rolling. And I get what you're saying. You've got that halo. You've got the back part of the, the car, which is higher. But if that starts getting bashed about by the tarmac, your head is going to be next. That's fucked. Yeah, that is indeed fucked. Uh, that's why we introduced the halo. And and, and, and uh, So basically, I think it was like 96 or 97, like the sides of the cars got raised. So before, like, before Senna's death, you can see the whole head of the driver sticking out almost. And a couple of years after, they raised that bit. So it's a bit like a like a barrier to it. And then like recently they introduced the halo. Um, and again, it happened because of events. Cause, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember Massa in 2009, he got hit by a spring. At oh, being... shit. was that the guy who was in a coma or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was in a coma, uh, for a while. And then, uh, I, I forgot. So uh, like John Surtees, son, who was like, a uh, as someone, uh, in the junior categories died because a tire hit them in the head. Sure. Uh, and they had the halo at the time. No, they didn't have the halo at the time. If if not, it would have probably repelled it. Um, or like. So this was the, this was the reason for the introduction yeah. of the halo, basically. These kind the, of incidents. these things, uh, and then like Jules Bianchi, he was the last F one driver to pass away. Twenty fourteen. So basically, sure. his head. I remember in yeah. the side of the uh, of a digger. Uh, and if a halo yeah, was there, it could have potentially hit the halo and sort of bounced back. Um, if you like, if you imagine a halo, then, then it's a bit easier to um, visualize. But, it. but it, could could the halo also have protected Senna potentially? Yes, I think so. Yeah, because uh, what happened, uh, if I remember correctly, is uh, um, the wheel came off and hit Senna in the head, or something from the front suspension. But even without the halo, there were other safety measures that um, would have saved uh, uh, Senna's. Uh, life because there was bits like uh, i think the wheel was chained to these the monocle uh, to the chassis so uh, if you see a lot of crashes the wheel comes off but it's like a chain that holds it to holds it so it doesn't fly off somewhere that's really uh i think that was a really messed up situation i mean the the saddest thing about that event or a whole surrounding uh center first of all i remember from that uh documentary movie whatever mm -hmm. seeing how he was pleading with all the other drivers and the, the regulatory board mm. saying we shouldn't be driving around it because that same weekend they'd had, they, I, you, you'll tell me who, they, they had one death 
from the Austrian guy. Yeah. And then there, Rubens Barrichello yeah. is obviously uh, Roman Ratzenberger, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ratzenberger, who died, and then obviously Barrichello was in a vicious accident around that same corner which he died. And he was pleading with the whole the whole of the sort of the driver's staff, driving staff, and the regulatory body to not go ahead with it. And obviously, as the sort of you know, like aggressive driver, and like you said, once you're on the track, that goes yeah, safety yeah. stuff kind of goes out of your yeah, mind. Yeah, but it just, it was just sad to see. Do you know what I mean how it how it yeah. ended like that? Uh, I, I to be honest, I don't remember Senna being that bit about him being uh, like hesitant to go out. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen the DVD. Um, Sorry, the documentary, but DVD <laughs> shows that's you why, mate. Shows probably you not on DVD. Shows you, shows you how old I am. Definitely shows his age. Isn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> now I've actually got the oh, DVD. Sure. I was literally looking at the DVD while you were talking. I was like, ah, that's where it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that bit, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't know the uh, reservations, but yes, I can imagine. Like I mentioned, like. Mate, that's one thing that stuck with me. That whole documentary was sick. Like it showed, you know, how good a driver he was and how much competition he had with Prost, uh, Prost, and all that. And you know how how aggressive he was and how good he was in, in wet on the in the wet and whatever. But just that last scene or that one scene where he was really really haunted by that death from that Austrian guy yeah, you mentioned, yeah, yeah. and um, and his country mate Barrichello, yeah. who, who didn't die obviously, but was in a crazy accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, and he was completely like he seemed like a shadow, shadow of himself, shadow of himself in that, um, in that sort of interaction in that meet, team meeting. <clears throat> that was really, it was really tough. And then obviously he went on the on the on the track and never came back. Well, yeah, then. as I was trying to say, I wasn't following the sport back then, but even in hindsight, like when you um, like hear about people who witnessed that weekend or. Uh, even saw on the television, it, it had like a an, uh, an air of darkness to it. Um, it's, it's, it's just a weekend where everything went wrong, like you mentioned, like Barry Callow in, I think it was free practice of qualifying, who just went off and had like a horrendous accident, Roland Ratzenberger, and then to top it off, Senna, who was like the biggest star at that point. He was a man of who had like, m- like massive charisma, like huge following, especially in Brazil. He's still like still considered as like the, one of the national heroes. Uh, like he did a lot of charity work, and, mm. and like that was a big blow for the sport. Like that was like when the sport I think was like, "Ooh, we need to take a take a breather. What's going on here?" Um, it was yeah, it was yeah. Like you've probably seen the documentary, the footage that of it um, of his funeral. It's it's you don't really see that like uh, apart from maybe royalty or. Like well, yeah, it was leaders. massive. The streets, the the streets were filled. Yeah, and they were packed. And I think uh, you 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 were saying something about the World Cup um, a while back as well. When yeah. we were talking, and when it was in Brazil, like it was, how much homage? Yeah, it was in the '94 World Cup final when uh, I think it was Brazil Italy, and they they had like a I don't know a banner. I think it might have been said Siempre Senna or something Senna Siempre Senna. I think it means always Senna or. Mm. And even to this day, like Williams uh, have like the Senna logo on their car, um, and McLaren has like a huge link to Senna because Senna, like all of his world titles, were with uh, with McLaren, and like they have the McLaren Senna, which is like a hypercar named after him. Uh, it's, he's, he's, no, that's and he's regarded by by many as a 
as the best driver uh, ever to be like Lewis Hamilton's idol. Uh, I think Schumacher considered him the best as well. Or, like, it would be kind of weird to think you're the, just you're the best yourself, but even so, no, of course, of course, because these are all contenders that you're naming. But obviously, yeah. they all have idols yeah. before them. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just just on that, just just wait, briefly on that topic. Wait, where, uh, where where have we? Sorry, what were we trying to answer before? I feel like we're just skipping from, from one from one question to the other, answering none of them. But I'll leave that. I'll leave that no, to you, I the think, moderator. I think, what 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 questions are we skipping? I don't I don't remember. <laughs> No, it's, it's free-flowing, don't worry. <laughs> ah, bro. Cool, don't, cool, don't worry. cool, cool. I don't, I don't want to evade any questions. No, no, we know which questions you're evading. No, <laughs> climate change. <laughs> we, we know you're anti-climate change. That's fine. I'm not, mate. I, th- I think... I th- yeah, don't worry. I think we Rob, should... we're evading it casually. Don't bring it up. <laughs> mate, I just, I just want to say I think we should do all we can to bring down our emissions, but I hope there will be a space for car enthusiasts like myself. Yeah, there is in Formula E. And carry on. No, no, it's it's very it's very different. It's very very different. Uh, like I mentioned, it's fine. It's got four wheels. Just carry on. It's, uh, it's, it's like vinyl and MP3. Uh, Rob, you got two options. You either take up Formula E or you go back to horse and cart, and the cart's got four wheels. So <laughs> no, mate, it's hard. For, it's hard to it's hard to uh, convey that to someone like yourself. Um, you drive a I'm diesel. Not, yeah. No, no, it's fair enough. All right, listen, let, let, let's quickly move on to this. Um, yeah. This one question I had, which I was quite interested about. The, um, so in, a, in, a, in, the, in the modern day Formula One team, um, they have two drivers per team, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they've got two drivers, I think, in, per team. And, um, yeah, basically, oh, hold up one sec. I think I've just lost connection. Yeah, you've got two drivers per team. And um, <clears throat> what happens when you have how, – how, who, who determines who is number one and number two in that team? Or does that still exist? Is it equal status across all teams? Or is it unless you're not a Formula One championship uh, champion or a former world champion – you you both got playing right like you know level uh, rights from day one like that, you go ahead that depends on the team so listen no listen if 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 you have a team who's got obviously if you have a team who's got a, a multi world champion winner they're arguably they're going to be number one right mm-hmm. what happens on that team if you have number one you have a new kid on the block who comes in as a second driver but for the majority of the season or you know you get to halfway through the season and he is yeah. literally kicking his ass Wait, like throughout you, you that just, season like, you what just you just listed uh, a phenomenon that happens so very often. So with like last season with uh, Vettel and Leclerc uh, or like with Alonso and Hamilton, well, to a lesser extent, uh, I suppose it, it's, it's, uh, it's tricky. Uh, so, I mean, it, you, you rarely get like with the big teams that uh, you might have a number one and two driver, but they tend to get equal equipment uh, unless there is like some sort of production shortage or whatever. Um, it, it, it depends on the team actually so Ferrari last season started out with Vettel was the clear number one which kind of made sense like Vettel was the four time world champion and Leclerc yeah of course just was a rookie Maybe. almost yeah mm. uh, but like halfway down the season Leclerc was beating Vettel and racking up wins and pole positions and it 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 it, uh, it, 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 it led to a lot of tension actually like um like Vettel is obviously a proud, proud world champion. 
multiple world champion and you have like a, a, a storming talent so there was a lot of lot of like stories last year and a lot of like intrigue around that situation about how to manage it and a lot of teams like Mercedes at the moment they just after the Rosberg situation where you had like two like team players who were just fighting each other sort of seemed to go for the direction of like just having a, 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 a almost a second drive or someone who doesn't create that friction um so it, it, it depends on the team so like McLaren uh, historically used to uh, treat both the numbers equal uh, both the numbers both the drivers equally uh, Ferrari for a long time uh, had a number one driver policy in Schumacher so Schumacher basically uh, was almost unthreatened in the team like um like uh, like you had Barry Callow and Eddie Irvine and and Felipe Massa, but they, they were almost. A so were they bigger. were they happy? Were they were they happy to play second fiddle to him, for example? Because they knew how good a champion he was. I I don't think so. It's like I, I've listened to podcasts and interviews with the two, like with Barrichello especially, and even Felipe Massa. So I think in their contract it says like if you're faster than him, then you I, I think you get like equal treatment, or you'll you'll just, it's 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 okay for you to be fast, but if you're not faster than him. And he's fighting for the championship, or like it becomes these like like uh, those kind of situations. He will get the uh, he will get the pick of the draw. So at the start of the season, they have their number one and number two picks, and like you said, if there's if there is if there is a champion in your team, they will get the pref- preferential treatment. And if you try and challenge them, unless you can beat them or do better than them, you have to that's, play second fiddle. That's 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 kind of uh, yeah, the understanding I have from like from following the sport, yeah, to Schumacher at least, and that's that's a bit of a blemish to Schumacher. I think like he shouldn't have. He, how so? How how do you mean a blemish? Sorry. Well, I don't think the other drivers had like similar clauses in their contract, or like Prost didn't, had to go up against Senna. Senna had to go up against Prost. Uh, uh, like uh, Hamilton went up against Alonso, he, Schumacher didn't have that. He didn't have. Uh, he didn't, uh, if I don't think he ever had that competition within the team. Only when he came back against Rosberg, and that was a bit of a surprise. Um, surprise? How so? Sorry. Well, I, I don't. Uh, well, at least for me, I wasn't expecting Rosberg to really um, like take the fight. Well, 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 just, just, just take a step back. Sorry. What do you mean? Um, so when he came back in his second spell. Yeah, so he, he he retired in twenty six, um, sorry twenty six, two thousand and six from uh, Ferrari, uh-huh. and then three years later, or four years later in twenty ten, he made a comeback to for, uh, with the Mercedes team. Yeah, yeah, and then that's when he was paired up with Rosberg, and at the time, uh, uh, myself myself especially didn't think that Rosberg would be able to. In hindsight, it's kind of stupid because like Schumacher was a lot older, was out of sport for so much longer. The the, the formula itself, the, the regulations, the cars themselves, the tires, they had changed drastically. Um, so it kind of makes sense why he didn't was on the same pace as Rosberg. But at the time, I thought like, and I think a lot of pundits thought like he'll be uh, like maybe even like contending for world titles and like make uh, Rosberg. The, the number two or like beat him in the inter-team battle so what happened was Rosberg faster than him and stuff and he's just a better driver at the time at, yeah at the time yeah I think Rosberg it's again it's, speaking as an armchair follower it it seems that Schumacher was out for a long time and when he came back 
the cars were massively different. So I don't know if you remember, like before two thousand and eight, that uh, the cars were. I for me personally, that's like from like nineteen ninety six to two thousand eight. The cars were like amazing. They were proportional. The front wing was as big as the rear wing. Well, just about. And from two thousand and nine, the the regulation changed massively. So the cars became, and the tires themselves became very different as well. With the, uh, I think two thousand ten, we had still had Bridgestones, which is a tire manufacturer, and then we had Pirellis. And then the tires, um, before when Schumacher was driving, the cars were set up in such a way: the tires, the cars, and it, like I don't know if you remember, like back in the days, they could put fuel into the car as well. So every stint was basically full out, flat out. Your job is to go as, uh, as fast as you can uh, with, it, with some management, of course, uh, for the until your next pit stop. Whereas after 2009, 2010, especially, it became a bit more of a managing game. The tyres were a lot more fragile. So you, you couldn't just like get out and push the car to its limits. You'd have to worry about like, the temperatures and uh, and then you, later on, you got like fuel, fuel economy, and all of that. And I don't think that suited Schumacher. And also, he was a, he was a lot more older, so I don't know. It's, I, I, I don't think you're as plastic in 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 your uh, mental capacity to sort of pick that all up. What, 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 do you think it was a mistake for Schumacher to come back? For me personally, uh, yes, but I think he he would have come in anyway because he didn't come uh, to. To, to maintain or to build on his legacy he wanted he loved the sport he loved the competition like it gave him uh, it, it must have given him like a, a massive sense of it purpose. was a thrill wasn't it yeah exactly it was a thrill and also is that it's like focus of your it's life it's like a box where they go it's like a boxer who comes back you know yeah. once they're retired because they, exactly. they can't get out of the ring and this and that yeah it wasn't like he was and, retiring in his armchair after he um, after he uh, um, retired from the sport uh, he was like, I think he was like doing motor racing, like motorbike racing, uh, not on a maybe professional level. He was like, apparently he was he was doing parachute um, skydiving and got his license for that. So he, I think he he needed that, that thrill and he needed that. Yeah, I mean. He needed that. Too. Yeah, he, he needed that thrill, yeah. But the thing is that he, um, did, did he damage his legacy in any way, do you think? Yes, from coming back. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 I think that because uh, the, the household name growing up in the nineties or late eighties, nineties, mm, and then yeah. obviously into the noughties, he was yeah the pinnacle of his sport, yeah. and he was Mister F one, just like growing up maybe in the same era. Yeah, 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 Michael Jordan was Mister NBA, etc. Yeah, and yeah. all other different, sports. especially for people of our generation. Uh, the ones who grew up through the nineties and early two, like two thousand. I think we're different generations, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's a surprise to me, but okay. Right, <laughs> <laughs> you were around when Jackie Stewart was racing. <laughs> I I wish uh, that would have been a good period to uh, to uh, experience. Hmm. Um, but yeah, but for people from my generation, yes, Schumacher was the the guy to beat, doesn't it? Like if you think about the nineties and two thousand, he was always like he was always a title contender. Where, where, where is he at the moment? I mean, I know he had that big uh, accident. Do you do you know much about where he is now, or I mean, have I, you heard anything? I don't know. Him? Like if you ask him for his address, no. But I think he's in. His... <laughs> <laughs> so what is he doing? Like obviously we haven't heard from. Him. He's, he's yeah. still. Um, He's still in recovery, or what? What's yeah, going yeah. On? So yeah, yeah. You're aware of the accident, isn't it? Um, 
that skiing accident. So he uh, is at his family home, I suppose, in Switzerland. Um, uh, so he was in hospital for a while, or a hospital, and uh, he's back home now. Um, but the family has been a bit secretive about his like medical condition. So uh, there's there's not much we know about it from like like uh, tidbits here and there. Like I know Jean Tot, who's like the he was his boss at Ferrari, and he was like the boss of FIA, that motorsport body. Uh, apparently, he mentioned that they watched a race together, and he seemed to respond. So it seems to indicate that he has a uh, a reasonable level of consciousness, but. Uh, we we don't know what's going on to be honest. Uh, fair enough. I mean, just just um, to end on, I, I actually got a couple more quick questions. I just, I wanted to ask something around formula. I know we talked a lot about budgets and um, you know endorsements and uh, you know TV money etc. Mm-hmm. But in terms of prize money for a Formula One race, I'm assuming a Formula One driver they get a lot of money off endorsements. They must have a contract with their their car manufacturer, etc. How much? How what is like the kind of the purse, and how much does it mean financially for them to win a race or to at least get on the podium for a race? Is it is it pretty substantial? And I, you know, uh, if you I, can tell me anything on that from from your knowledge, if you know I, anything. I I don't know on a race by race basis, but I, I know from like anecdotally that like someone like Lewis Hamilton has got a lot of uh, income uh, coming in from outside of racing. So he's got like endorsement deals with, um, with Tommy Hilfiger and I think he does a bit of work for Puma um, as, a, as a personal um, ambassador. Uh, whereas Vittel, so, and someone like Vittel, he earns a lot on an annual basis and I'm sure he's got like a lot of uh, performance bonuses. Uh, he is not as commercially involved as Hamilton. So I, I don't know on a race by race basis to be honest with you, but it differs per driver. Uh, like yeah, Sch- no, fair enough. Like Schumacher, I, mean, I guess someone like it. Schumacher was yeah, like, like what, a lot of commercial uh, like engagements back in the days. Yeah, I mean, I get obviously endorsements must be a massive deal, isn't it? He's obviously they're obviously minted characters, but I was just intrigued, like to say, if you win a race, what you know, why is yeah, it like, there is, is it like there winning? is a, there is a bonus structure, of course, uh, but it's I, I don't I don't know the extent of what it is. I think. Like for people like Hamilton and Vettel, it's it's it, they're already in a substantial annual salary anyway. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know uh, from like hearsay, I know Verstappen could be on a contract with like quite lucrative bonuses, uh, but they might have given it to him because he hasn't, he hasn't he didn't really have a chance to win a championship. So it's easy to give out bonuses if you know if you're not going to get it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so just to end up with, um, all right, so current drivers. Yeah, I know we talked about this. All right, so if you put everyone in the same car, you know, doing a race around the track, you know, we're trying to figure out who the best driver is, not what the best car is, because we've talked about the inhibitions of other cars and the financial sort of backing of other cars. So Mm -hmm. if you were just looking for who the purest driver the fastest driver the most skilled driver is let's say talk about the current the current grid for example um who would be your top three drivers in the current sort of circuit right now yeah in terms of pure ability like put all three of them or whatever is 20 of them in the in the exact same car 
who would who would be the best driver, the fastest driver, etc. Well, that's that's very difficult because yeah, as you mentioned, the 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 the, the, the car differences make uh, make it so difficult to find out who the actual. Yeah, just 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 in your opinion, obviously being like quite obviously into the yeah. sport and watching quite thoroughly. So, just who do you think on the current circuit would be the top three so I think, in terms of ability and pace? You would think it's Hamilton. Hamilton, and he is he's he's been top quality from the day he made his debut but I think at the moment right now in, like from what I've seen uh, it's Max Verstappen is the, 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 the quickest like raw talent we have is he there. Dutch is he Dutch he is he is alright maybe we'll put him out of the argument no 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 he's a bit biased <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well if I ask you instead Hamilton I can't really take that out of the equation either can I because it's it's just uh... well I don't know V10 you seem very Dutch to me <laughs> the Dutch are not big V10 lovers <laughs> <laughs> no sorry go on Karen so uh, top three yeah, for, yeah like just to build upon for Stappen it, there's some things I've seen from him that are out of the ordinary and I think he's got like the, the the, the benefit of youth uh, behind him, uh, whereas like and second would be Hamilton again. Like I mentioned before, he's been like faultless for the last couple of years. Uh, he's operating such a high level, and I think his success kind of like almost uh, disguises how good he is because he's been in a good car and he dominates so much that you kind of take for granted that he's winning things. Like you know when you like putting a massive performance in a quick car, it doesn't always show as much if you're like in the midfield and working your way up. Oh yeah, um, we've seen that a lot. Mesa, not- like, if we use the analogy against football, like we've done so many times, you get a great <laughs> manager who goes to great teams with, you know, yep. um, unlimited transfer funds and, you mm. know, world-class players. You'll always be slightly sceptical and say, oh, yeah. if, you, if what if he was at a lower leg, lower league team or, yeah. You know, a team with less, in, you know, in, in, uh, what's the word? Money, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, stuff. it would be, for me, the analogy uh, would be like Alex Ferguson. When he was coach at United, I I, I, I was just so used to because he was there before I was born. I was just, well, oh, that's just United. But now he left and like the team has collapsed as well. But you kind of notice that, wow, like he single handedly made it into a dynasty for the last 20 years. And you might get that with Hamilton. Once he's left the sport, you're like, oh, maybe Mercedes might collapse. Who knows? But you'll be like, think. then you sort of, it gets put into perspective. Like, oh, this guy won five championships in the last six years. Yeah, that's impressive. All right, give me a number three, mate. Leclerc, I think. I w- it would have been Vettel, but after last season, uh, I think I think it's going to be Leclerc. It's, it's, for him you're, to- you're very much on the side of youth. Well, it's it's also it's also kind of objectively, isn't it? If you think about it, like Leclerc comes in in his second season of F one and kind of out qualifies Vettel, uh, has more race wins, uh, whereas Vettel has had a he's still he's still a fast driver in races. He more than keeps up with Vettel. He might be even quicker, but he makes a lot of silly mistakes. So, for example, when Leclerc had his like almost historical Ferrari win in, in Monza, where he kept off kept. Uh, Charging Hamilton at bay and then charging Bottas at bay, and like fought for the fight, fought for the win. Uh, Vettel sort of span out by himself and just was clowning about. <laughs> but I guess, I guess when when you've won as many championships as well that he has, 
the drive might not just be there as well remember and also the age and there might be different factors right it could be but i I doubt it i doubt it because uh hamilton scored the drive and he's he's racking up championships yeah everyone's different but yeah yeah, i get what you're saying and 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 vitello is known as like a as a guy who's like focused on the sport and like now we have the now the question arises like alonso mentioned this a while ago it's like how good are you actually is it the car or is it which i think is a bit unfair i think he's He's a great champion, but it's he's not on that same level as the other three guys. I, th- I, mean, I think the other drivers right. as well. They're ahead of him now. No, that's fair. All right, so we got your three. We got your um, Verstappen, Hamilton, and Leclerc in current modern day racing. What's your number? Three? What's, you what's your top three as a as a well, as a but, person but, who just watched well, on TV? Oh, person who doesn't watch it on TV. As in, like, you're aware of the sport. All. You're aware of the sport and the names, right? I'm definitely I'm, I'm aware of the sport. So let's say top three in current racing. Yeah. Um, based on... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's obviously got to be Hamilton because yeah. he's the guy I see yeah. most in the headlines um, winning it. That's a fair choice. Then it's, got to be, then it's got to be Vettel because based on the amount he's won <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the past. Yeah. And then number three... I don't know. I, I could give you any youngster like Riccardi or whatever his name he's, is. He's, he's not young. Verstappen. He's not youngster anyway. He's been a sport for eleven. Kimi Raikkonen. There you go. Nice <laughs> old head. <laughs> so you just went for the world champions. So you just there went into the book and like, you know, well, let me just Sergio Perez. <laughs> I'm just naming. I'm just naming races. Okay. I can think of. That gives me indication of your your uh, your knowledge of My, the sport. Well, this is why I came to you, mate. You know? <laughs> now I've learned so much more. But listen, before before we leave there, just just. A quick fire answers. Now I know you got to think about it, but sure. the same thing about what we what we discussed on the current grid. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about all time. Now, can you name the top five all time? Just in your opinion, we're not lo- looking for an educated guess. Just in your opinion, it might be your favorite. It might not necessarily be the best. But who is your favorite? Fav- top five. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, again, I have to caveat this. this <laughs> Shit, man! It's got to be got to be done. Get past, get- Get tested, isn't it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's, a sneeze is fine so far. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to say again. Yes, caveats. This the sport over time changes quite a lot, so it's hard to make like comparisons over time. So it ha- I'm gonna like base this on like the time I've been following the sport, because um, like the, the sport now is very different to what it was in like the 50s, 60s, 70s. Well, no, of course, this is this is why we're asking the next. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and when I say an expert, an enthusiast, so yeah, who can make those judgments in his head and make those comparisons yeah. without us sort of, uh, the, uh, you know, average Joe's understanding. Um, yeah, okay, let's do it. Our first one, uh, number one. Um, let's start with number five. No, let's start with number five. Number five. Oh, damn it! I have to make number f- one to five. <laughs> <laughs> just, mate, oh, fuck it. just follow my lead in, right? Yeah, just, just first one. Oh, really, go on. Hit, it, hit me. It, it, one. It, 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 there's a, there is a, there is a, there's a bit of personal bias in it as well. It's Michael Schumacher. Um, well, for, like I mentioned, I was a, I am a Ferrari fan, and he is the most successful. And you are a Ferrari owner, right? Yes, let's go with that. Yes, I have. There we go. I have some Ferrari products. I won't say what they are. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number two. Number two. Oh, uh, so yes, personal bias Ferrari. Uh, just to yeah, build upon that, he 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 performed in my view because Hamilton would be a close to a second. Um, I know I mentioned right now. I think Verstappen is a 
is the, the, the guy I would rather have on my team. But over, uh, over a career long, if you look at Hamilton's career, what he's achieved so far, I would put him as number two. Hamilton um, number two. All right, number three. Yeah, number three would be uh, in my lifetime. Doesn't yeah, just not, as in like what the ones I've experienced and seen like on a on a, on a regular basis. Uh, I can say names like Atten Senna and James James Clark's. Uh, I mean, so Jim Clark. Oh, Senna. But Senna? Uh, no, no, I just I just got I was just going to tell you why I can't put them because I didn't see them, I didn't experience them on a day to day basis. I would put Max Verstappen yeah, you're like, number three. You're about you're about thirty five, weren't you, when Senna was still racing? Wait. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> like, right, go on. If, if that was the case, what the fuck are you ch- chilling with a guy who was 35 when he was? <laughs> I ain't chilling, man. This is this is a very educated <laughs> podcast, all right? Very, we're getting some useful information here. For me, third place, Max Verstappen, uh, just because of like some of the things I've seen from him, it's just it's just mental. Um, like his race, uh, he he got into a Red Bull. Uh, in 2016 and won the first race this race in Brazil 2016 for me is one of the all time great drives it's, uh, and some of like the moves he pulled on other people like going on the outside in Spa it's just, it's just mad uh, that's why I'm, that's, that, so, even though it hasn't so worked why, why, yeah but isn't that a big thing though mate like just, just to interrupt like it, it, fair enough you might have won you might have driven the race that, the best race you've ever seen if you're not consistent enough like does that make you an all time great he's He's, you know, that's, that's a, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, good point you raised. Um, it, it's like I said, Obviously. there is the uh, I wouldn't say that. Uh, there's there is this um, there is this card difference, isn't it, that makes these comparisons very different uh, to other sports. Uh, yeah, okay. Because okay. like it's not like in football where like the, the your kit makes that much of a difference. To your performance also yeah but the thing is if it, it does because in the sense of the team you play with you could play with yes. a, a championship players around you assisting you yeah. at all times and you'll you'll get no service yeah. maybe potentially and then you'll play for like yeah. uh well, man city or liverpool the two, and then you'll be banging in the goals yeah but the true greats like someone like ronaldinho they still shown it like a team like psg mm, that's still a better team than a lot of other teams, man. Yeah, yeah. Even though it, it was different time, that's still a very good team. Fair enough. Uh, but I th- just from like the glimpses of talents, I, a talent I've seen in, and being able to perform at such a level, no, such a young age, enough. it's it's. No, that's fair. All right, that, we got it's Verstappen a personal, personal thing. It's not like a situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, so. absolutely. All right, we got Verstappen on three. Let's move on to number four quickly. Um, I would say for me, it would be Mika Hakkinen. I think. Nice, nice, nice. Number five, last one. Um, can I change change around? Sorry, it would have been Fernando Alonso number four and Mick Hackley number five. There you go. Fair play, mate. Awesome. All right. Very, very, very interesting talk on Formula One for especially a lot of us who don't follow the sport. Yeah, hope it's so, educational. Uh, hope you hundred percent, hundred percent educational. So V ten. Thank you so much for your time. And, My pleasure. Um, yeah. Any last comments before we leave? Um, no, it's been a, it's been a great, I had a great time. Awesome. All right. Thanks very much for your time. See you guys soon. Stay safe. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. Cheers.